Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two handsome debonair co-hosts, Dave Glantz and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. gentlemen. Well, I gotta turn you down, Dave. All right. And this is the podcast where we talk <laughs> about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. If you want to find us on the web, you can do so at facebook.com slash reviewed podcast. You can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. And uh, you can visit the website, reviewedpodcast.com, to find all our episodes and episode archive. So uh, there you go. And in today's episode, you know what? I, I forgot the movie we're going to talk about today, guys. Really? Is it like you have amnesia, Ivan? <laughs> it's like I have a, a short term, where I can't make memory new memories. Um, Is it I, a condition? Yeah. it's like, Have you heard? Did I tell you about Sammy Jenkins <laughs> and how he had a condition? You might have. You might have. Uh, yeah, that's right. We're talking about Chris Nolan. By the way, I have another room I can rent for you. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Chris Nolan's uh, Memento. Oh, wait. Where am I? Some anonymous motel room. I guess I've already told you about my condition. Oh, well, only every time I see you. It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just... Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. I've told you this before, haven't I? What's the last thing that you do remember? My wife. My wife deserves vengeance. Doesn't make any difference whether I know about it. Just because there are things I don't remember doesn't make my actions meaningless. So uh, we are uh, a little bit late in talking about Memento. We probably should have talked about this when Dunkirk came out and hit theaters and was a big hit. But I, I've been wanting to do a Chris Nolan movie on this podcast for a while. I realize he's more of a new, um, more of a modern filmmaker than the stuff that we tend to talk about. He kind of had his his first film following didn't came out in 1998, I believe, and Memento hits in 2000. So he's relatively new, but we're talking about a movie that's now 17 years old, so I thought it'd be interesting to go back and revisit kind of the movie that really um, popularized Nolan as kind of like this concept filmmaker. He he has a huge following. All his movies make tons of money. Um, He's a very successful filmmaker, so I'm excited to talk about this movie. Uh, Memento, what is it about, Dave? Can you give me the quick uh, rundown? What's the synopsis? Uh, Let's see. What does IMDb have to say? A man juggles, that's the first three words, searching for his wife's murder and keeping uh, his short-term memory loss from being an obstacle. There you go. (laughs) It stars stars Guy (laughs) Pearce. The uh, the podcast favorite Joey Pants, and, Joey Pants. Um, this is like his fifth podcast that we've done. Joe Pantoliano, yeah. <laughs> um, and Carrie Ann Moss. Those are the probably the big. And Stephen names. Tobolowski. Oh yeah, the Tobolowski is also in it. Tobolowski got some play in this podcast. So uh, a smaller role than I remember. Um. Yeah, I guess. But anyway, significant. But. <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. You know, before before we get into Memento. I want to talk about Chris Nolan a little bit. Okay. And I gave you guys some homework. Oh, you did. Let me open that. Are uh, you guys ready to turn uh, in your assignments? My, my dog uh, licked my computer, and I can't. Okay, here it is. You don't have a dog, Dave, and I know that as a fact. <laughs> I, feel, um, <laughs> I feel like maybe this uh, is better for after the movie. Mm-hmm. You want to, you, I think, okay, I well, because hey. it could color, it could it could spoil the reviews that we have of. Well, Memento. I mean, I think I, I I think it's interesting to before we dive into Memento to talk about Nolan as a filmmaker because he is a guy 
that has this very passionate fan base, almost to the point where uh, if you criticize Chris Nolan, his fan base will want to kill you, or at least on the internet. Right. It he, wasn't like that when Memento came out. It wasn't, but it, I mean, it's been slowly building since Memento came out, and then obviously, you know, it was exponentially more when he did the Dark Knight trilogy. More, so, I would connect it more to uh, comic book uh, fandom. Then yeah, but if you like make a bad comment up. about like Inception, there are mm-hmm. people that will get after you. I guess so. Um, like come at, come to your house, yeah, break your I've legs. Had like some what are we talking? People here? come and attack me in the middle of the night. <laughs> my God, um, they've it's tried to incept my dreams, which is weird. Um, <laughs> so you wait. Do you want to wait until we for our list, Mike? Uh, uh, I mean, that's usually what we do, right? We talk about the, the movie, and then we go into like. You know, everything surrounding the movie, the director, and all that stuff. All right, fine. Well, we'll do it backwards. <laughs> I was trying to do things backwards in, this, in the spirit of Memento. Um, oh, okay. oh, No, yeah. we'll talk about Memento. That's fine. Um, so I first saw Memento um, right away when it came out, and I was blown away by Memento. And I think a lot of people were because it's so structurally unique. Um, it's a movie that is told both forwards and backwards. There are two basic – there's two basic uh, – Storylines in the movie, uh, and they meet in the middle. Um, but the the main part of the movie is told where scenes are being told backwards, and um, the mystery is kind of the idea of where did we start is kind of the goal of the mystery, which is very interesting. I was a little bit nervous to rewatch it because I've read a lot of criticism of Memento from people I respect and admire uh, since I last saw it. Um, so um, I do have some thoughts about it, but in general. I enjoyed it on this rewatch. Mike, what are your thoughts on Memento? Um, I So, dude, I, I first heard about this movie in college, and it was like everybody, which is around 2001 to 2005. That was like the four-year span. And I was in film school, even though I hadn't seen any movies and still haven't seen any movies. <laughs> and um, everybody was like, too oh busy God, making favorite. movies. <laughs> right, yeah, that's what it was, really. I was too busy holding the room you got a question that Trump stuff. education, that Trump film school you went to. I mean, it's not really the most credible film school, Mike. I, I, you know, so. <laughs> I, I learned all the best words when I was there. It was great. Um, so, uh, yeah, but everyone was just like, oh, my God, Memento's like the best movie ever made. It's fantastic. You would think that that would have, like, spurred me to go see the movie, but but no, I made it for four years of college and then, like, another ten years of college, outside of college before I actually got to see it. Um, and at the, at the behest of Mr. Brian Kane, who, in a real-life movie, would be played by Joey Pants, ironically. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> Brian? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not interesting for anybody but us. Inside joke. Joey Pants. <laughs> not, well, yeah, no, but it looks like him. He looks like him. Joey Pants could act oh, as oh, Brian okay. Kane. I see. And then this is great for the audience. Everybody knows who Brian King is. <laughs> Nobody knows who he is. But anyway, continue. Anyway. No, um, the Brian So no, I, I, I just saw it recently. And um, I think it's very good. I think it's a great movie. Um, oh, great. I would even... No, I'm not going to say where I place it in the, in the Nolan hierarchy yet. We'll, get, we'll wait. We'll wait. But um, I think it's really interesting. I don't think there's... It's one of those movies that when someone makes it, you're like, oh my God, how did it take this long for this kind of a story to be made? Like a backward story... But it's not just a backward story. It's a backward story with a forward story. And like you said, I've been more trying to figure out where they connect, where the, where the you know, where it begins. And I, I, I think it's just very, it's, I, th- I think it's very different. It's very film school kind of film, but not in a, in a pretentious way. I think it's actually a very good and entertaining movie on its own. Um, I'm curious what the criticism is, because I don't really have a whole lot of criticism for it, to be honest. It's going to be boring for me. I, th- I think, uh, <laughs> because I think it's so groundbreaking. I think it's so interesting. And I think because it's so unconventional that I, I think I'm probably giving it a, 
a pass in a lot of ways. I'm sure there's there's things where you can go through and logic some stuff. Like there's still some questions that I'm like, wait a second, hold on, a what what happened over here? And what, you know, but overall, I think I think performances are great. I think Guy Pierce is fantastic. I think I, I think Joey Pants steals the show. I think every movie he's in, I think he steals the show. I think he's Lenny. a fantastic actor. Plenty, <laughs> hey, he's just he's great. Um, so I mean, I, I'll I'll kind of keep it short. I th- I think it's good. I really like it. I think it's a um a very different kind of movie and I'm actually really upset to know that it's being remade because like what don't, it's, just, it is not being remade there was there was there it, was, was news stories about it being remade I don't know how yeah back in like is. 2015 yeah. I don't think anything's gonna come of it or hasn't yet but there was uh, um, like back in 2015 there was mention of it being remade and then the internet just like shit itself like how can you remake <laughs> Memento blah 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 but yeah there was talk of it the, the thing about Memento is it's a magic trick you can really only pull once. Like, it's not like you can make another backwards movie because as soon as you do that, everyone's like, yeah, just like Memento. Like, there's nothing... Exactly. This can exactly. literally be done once. And and Chris Nolan just managed to do it first. So, uh, But anyway. And I think um, it's interesting because, like, it's... I, I'm sure there are a bunch of... <laughs> Film school projects, senior projects, where there are movies actually backwards and actually shot backwards, where they reverse the film. I think it's interesting that this is done in segments because it's not as. I, I think it makes you have to think. Okay, this is before that scene. Oh, I, okay, so it's done in like chunks. It's done in backwards chunks, but like the obviously it's not playing backwards. I think that would just be madness. Every two hours of madness, but um, I don't know because I was thinking. You know, if you have a, con- I feel like this starts at the concept of like how do you make a backwards movie and how do you, how do you execute it and then figuring out the story. What comes first here? Did he have the story first? And then he figured out how to tell it. Did he have the premise, the idea of a backwards movie, and then figured out the storyline from there? Um, and his brother, his brother wrote the short story, right? So it wasn't even like it well, was his idea. Well, um, from my understanding, they, my understanding is they, uh, Jonathan Nolan and Chris Nolan were driving uh, from Chicago, where they grew up. Um, they they were born in London and then spent half their life in Chicago. They were driving to uh, Los Angeles, where Chris Nolan was trying to start his film career, and they were just brainstorming ideas. And Jonathan Nolan came up with this idea of a man who has retrograde am- amnesia. Uh, who can only rem- uh, remember uh, bits of memory for short periods of time. And they both thought this was a brilliant idea. Uh, Jonathan Nolan went, went to university at Georgetown University, wrote a short story while Chris Nolan was simultaneously working on the screenplay. So the short story is very different than the screenplay. The only the only mm. major similarity is the fact that there was a person with retrograde amnesia in them. Um, but So it's not like it's based on that. I think it's just Jonathan Nolan's like original idea, and then he gives his brother a hat tip for saying it's... Um, um, Based on the short story. Based on, yeah. Yeah, but the... And is every scene... Quick question. Maybe this is... Is every scene the exact same length of time? And is it the amount of time it takes for him to forget stuff? Well, not, okay. I don't think. I mean, it's not. It's not done. Well, every scene isn't done in real time. Uh, is imp- uh, uh, I guess to answer that question, it's, it's not like every moment of the movie is actual real life time. Like they they do they use cuts to streamline things when he's driving someplace or they cut somewhere quicker. Sure, sure. No, yeah, uh, and I know you that, can. But and like, if you want to, I don't want to get into this this problem with the movie too early because I think that if you wanted to be an annoying film person, you could critique the movie, the fact that his memory length seems to vary based on the segment that you're in. Like, he forgets more quickly one time, whereas another one, he's able to drive all the way across town and still have the same memory. So, um, but I think that's kind of a pedantic problem with the movie. I have other issues with the movie, and I don't think it's very interesting to spend time talking about that in particular. Yeah, Yeah, Um, technicality, yeah. Dave, I'm guessing you love this movie. I think I still love this movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I had the same reaction to you when I saw it. I saw it in theaters. It blew my mind. Uh, it's there are very few movies I can think of that um, 
that actually changed the way I think about the world. And I think Memento was one of those movies. Do you think backwards I, now? And if you were to ask me, what are some of those? What are some other movies that I can think of? I I, I can't off the top of my head. But I can tell. <laughs> but I can tell you um, <laughs> what uh, you know. At the at the end, at, when this movie ended, I kind of sat up and said, "What? What? That's it." And I remember the person seeing with it, like, I think we should see this again. So we did end up going to see it again. And, you know, it stuck with me. I used to see movies in the theaters, like, multiple times. And uh, the thing about, and this is way, obviously, this is way before Christopher Nolan uh, was a household, not a household. Well, he's, he's, he's he is a household name. name. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I never in a million years would have thought that Christopher Nolan would go on to become that popular of a director. Because I thought, well, this is a guy who has... Um, he's he's he, he's a clever filmmaker. Uh, his uh, his thing is ideas more than character. He's an idea director, and yeah, and the, and the yeah. idea for me, the idea behind uh, that's at the core of this movie is that we um, we need to lie to ourselves to in order to survive. Right. Um, that's that was my biggest takeaway from this movie, and uh, you know. I, I always, I, I guess I'd always thought of memories as, you know, at the, I, I, how old was I, 25, 24, 25 when, the, when I saw this movie? Um, you know, we, I think in, when you're in your 20s, you're you're really kind of getting a sense of who you are as a person and, and you know, what it's like, you're just getting a sense of what it's like to be a grown-up. Um, and the idea that memories and uh, the, the, the things that we uh, tell ourselves, um, you know, can't, aren't necessarily... 100% uh, accurate um, or that we you know probably need to reframe our memories in a way that that uh, keeps us going you know I think that's ultimately what this movie's about it's, we have this guy who uh, is chasing after his wife's murderer but we find out at the end and anyone listening to this podcast should should know in the end or the beginning of the story as it were or the middle of the story that this, this guy's been uh, lying to himself to keep this chase going he's, he's he keeps coming up with a new person that that uh he'll convince himself has murdered his wife because well, he, this chase he's is not what, really doing it is it? it's oh, no, it's he's really more he's doing it to himself Teddy. yeah he's doing it he does, no he, does he only it. does it to himself no well he i, I think i think he does it to himself once he does it to himself one time which is to get revenge on teddy who manipulated him but teddy's doing it to him Ooh, i don't know mike i think i disagree with you but anyway i i we I want to get to a point that hmm. uh, before we get into like the arguing about the actual plot of the movie, I do want to touch upon something Dave's talking about. This idea of Chris Nolan as an idea filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with Shaheer Dowd about this when we were talking about George Washington. And I was saying, like, what defined movie indie movies in, in the early 2000s? And if you look at the, 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 the 1990s, those, the 1990 indie film scene is totally defined by two people. Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino. Those are the indie directors that changed movies in that decade. And then when you get to the year 2000, it becomes filmmakers like Chris Nolan who come up with these really high concept ideas. Memento was like the most high concept idea you could ever pitch, right? Like it's a movie about a guy who can only remember things in chunks and it's told backwards. Like it's very, very high concept. And Nolan is 
an amazing cerebral director. Like, if you watch Memento now, even when you know what's going to happen, it is such a cerebral movie. Like, you just get caught up in, like, when did this happen before this? Like, it's just your it, your brain has to function to to watch this movie. I, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and I st- it, it's been I a still, long time since I saw it. I still had to really pay close attention. Me too. To me like, too. Oh, because, yeah, that's how that connects. Because I, I totally yeah. forgot, like, about – I forgot about Carrie Moss's boyfriend slash drug dealer and how he gets mm-hmm. the clothes from yeah. that guy. Like, right. I totally forgot yeah. about all that kind of stuff. And it's very much a movie that you have have to be present for for its entire duration to understand and I think I think Chris Nolan has gone on to kind of he's obs- Chris Nolan is obsessed with time the structure of time he, he's shown this in movies yeah. like Inception and Interstellar and um, Interstellar yeah even in, even even Dunkirk, which is his most straightforward movie yet, it still has the time convention where he's playing with narrative structure and time. He has he wants to express something about how we all experience time, right? Yeah, which I think is really really. Even the Prestige does this thing where it does flashbacks within flashbacks, and mm-hmm. it and it messes with who's telling the story and who's reliable in terms of the time period that's saying it. I think he's a brilliant cerebral director. I question whether or not he's a good emotional director. No, he's and I, I agree. Feel, and I feel like if you're going to like, talk about criticisms of a memento, I think it is cerebrally re- rewarding and emotionally vacant. Mm-hmm. And and, and mm-hmm. the big the big the big problem with Memento, and I don't want to like again, I really I like about vacant, but I really really like this movie. So I don't want to say like I'm shitting on it. <laughs> but the big problem with this movie, and this is what a bunch of critics who dislike this movie talk about, is the death of his wife, which is what is driving him, mm-hmm. is only existent as a plot point. A their, rela- their, re- their relationship is just not that interesting and isn't very much, it isn't developed. And you, if you notice, this is a problem in all Chris Nolan's movies. Like Inception is another good example, another movie I really enjoy. But Chris, um, the relationship between DiCaprio and um, uh, Marion Cotillard, right? Yeah. That yeah, yeah. feels like a writer writing a relationship rather than an organic one. And then people make fun of the Anne Hathaway speech in Interstellar where she's talking about love mm-hmm. and they have to go to the planet for love. He's not like I, there's a film critic. I can't remember who said it, who thought that uh, Chris Nolan never had sex, has never had sex <laughs> because he writes men. And, he writes male and female relationships in this really like cold way where they just don't they feel like mechanisms of the plot rather than being emotionally um uh, real, and I think Memento is so interesting in its structure and how clever it is with all the little things and how they tie together and how engaging it is in that respect that I'm willing to forgive the fact that I don't really care that his wife's dead. Yeah. Um, and I would I, be curious to see Christopher Nolan take on a female-centric uh, story, which he hasn't really ever done. Well, all his characters tend to be attractive, blonde, leading men, uh, <laughs> yeah. which or 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 in or the case of Bruce Wayne, an attractive, dark-haired leading man. Like he he um, and he himself was an attractive, blonde, leading <laughs> leading yeah. man. I always thought that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception basically is his doppelganger. They do look very <laughs> similar. Uh, it, it, they it, do, it, yeah, it actually, is, they, it they is do, funny. really do. Um, so, but, Ivan, to, to your point, um, I I agree, and I think that his movie, I think he's probably just not as emotional of a person. He's probably more of an intellectual person, more cerebral. Um, there are scenes that I think are somewhat emotional um, where he's talking about, you know, missing his wife and rolling over and touching, the, you know, uh, the sheet and feeling if it's warm or cold. Uh, there's definitely some scenes that are emotional and some scenes that were, I thought, um, do tug at the heartstrings, at least for me when I was, you know, imagining it. But I think, and maybe this is what you're, what you're feeling, is that there's no emotion put into it. It feels he's reciting things. He speaks. He doesn't really ever have... Does he ever have any kind of like emotional? At the very end, he does. Um, I but think for the most there part, are... he kind of speaks. He's—it's almost like he has a very cold, disconnected 
um, approach to a lot of things, especially his his um, his narration at the beginning, the black and white part, is he's speaking at, about everything emotionlessly. He speaks about things in more intellectual, almost devoid of emotion, maybe because he forgot these things or whatever. But I think. I agree with you. Yeah, I think there are some scenes where we could see a little bit more out of him where we don't. And I'm talking about, obviously, Guy Pierce. And I don't think it's a Guy Pierce thing. I think it's a, a direction thing. Well, here, here's just one thing. Here's the thing about the whole uh, the kind of coldness of, of Christopher Nolan, if you want to put it that way, is that I think it, really, it works perfectly for this movie. Because if you think about it, emotion requires us to have memory. Memory, right? yeah. And yeah. <laughs> And it's, I mean, so the, his, his la- the lack of uh, ability to remember anything longer than a few minutes or however long it actually actually might be, um, I think uh, an, an interesting way to portray that is, is, is this, I mean, is to not have him, he's, he, it's like he has just threads of emotion or threads of memories that, that kind of connect to his emotions. And, it, you know, the rest of Christopher Nolan's movies probably... We could, you could go in, in depth on. I, I think he has he has two things would have worked better for whatever reason, but I think the the coldness really worked for this movie. I think that he has two things going for him that masks the fact that there is a lack of of that uh, uh, emotion. I think it's it's a he usually has very good premises and really interesting ideas, um, very cool mechanic like story mechanics, and then b. Hans Zimmer scores all of his movies, so he's generating the emotion. It's through the music because there's a lot of this moments one, where in movies where I can think of like, oh, that's a great scene, but it's oh, I think it's because the music is awesome. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know, so I'm wondering like a lot of his characters. I don't think are are any of his characters really that emotional. I feel like everyone is relatively disconnected and sort of. I mean, well, these are bold I, I statements. Think, I haven't seen a lot of his movies in a well, while. Well, maybe so. it's maybe I don't think it's that his characters are not emotional. I think it's the way he writes his screenplays because he I think he's written pretty much everything he's done, correct? Uh, or he's co-written everything he's done pretty much. I, I think he co-wrote Batman Begins with David S. Goyer, and um, he co-wrote Interstellar with Jonathan Nolan. Right. Um, but the, the the thing is, I feel like anytime he plays an emotional hand in his movies, it feels like a. It feels like someone in, like must insert emotional scene in screenplay here. Like it feels very automatic or robotic in how he does it, and I don't know why that is. Um, and I think he's kind of developed a little bit. I, the, the reason I think I enjoyed Dunkirk as much as I did most recently is because he doesn't even attempt to do that. He's just like, right. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. even focus on the things I'm not good at. I'm just gonna do the things I'm good at and see if it works. And it, it kind of does in that movie. Right. And that's the thing. I think he he's had enough success where the the stuff his weakness is usually, like I said, overshadowed by other things that are that he's a lot stronger in. Um, but I w- and that I think kind of buys him a lot of space. But I will agree with Dave in that you could argue that the um, lack of emotion of Guy Pierce's character as a defense mechanism. Like, he mentions in the movie that Guy Pierce says, oh, the reason I thought he recognized me is I realized that when you have this condition, you fake, rem- like, you fake things to feel normal. Right, yeah. And this, he, like, he, you know, if you act blasé about stuff, then it makes you seem more normal, you know? If you, um, I think there are parts of the movie that kind of work emotionally when he's trying to, t- he hires a stripper to be his escort to pretend to be his wife so we can have the moment that he's waking up that she's still next to him that kind of thing yeah. I think there are ideas yeah. about the movie that really do but see even that like that for me that didn't really okay. do anything that that was like okay this is what he does to, to feel something but he still can't feel anything I didn't feel any emotion I think it's a scene where he's talking to Carrie Ann Moss about um, about what it's like where he wakes up and he's like and I don't even know what you know where I am I'm not sure if it's happened yet or, or I forget what exactly he says but that whole idea of feeling the sheets and it being cold and he knows that she's not there anymore and stuff like that was 
I thought that was more emotional. No, I think... But the scene with the prostitute didn't really... I thought that was almost like... Eh, what eh. about when he was burning his wife's things? Did that do anything for you? Yeah, that stuff was... That, I, I thought that was like, oh, dude, that's, don't do that. It, well, oh, it, worked for, it definitely but worked again, for you when it I first saw it. I, mean, I remember feeling like that was pretty deep. <laughs> it, it does come off as not quite as effective now, but I mean, I, I still think... Um, you know, it, it doesn't linger on it as, as as long as I remember it, at least. Well, I mean, I, and, and again, I, w- I want to get into the stuff I really like about this movie in a second. But I think a big criticism also I have mm-hmm. of this movie is that a lot of the dialogue feels very written. And, and the way it's said is ev- everything that Guy Pierce says in voiceover or even when he's talking to other people is in a breathy whisper. Like the whole movie is like, you wake up and you just feel... Like he has, yeah. like he has, like a there. It, it feels like a film Theatrical. school student yeah. writing. The, the movie is. I, I'll say that about the movie is very overt. I guess would I would say a lot. It says it says it doesn't. It does a lot of telling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, instead of showing at points, but anyway, sorry. Go ahead. I, I I agree with you. I think as far as his his black and white scene where it's just him talking into a phone, never really felt like he was actually speaking to somebody. It felt like he was rehearsing something. Where I think every other scene, I didn't notice it as much. I think it was fine there. Yeah, but. maybe it's just the black and white stuff that stood out. Which is it's funny. I believe the black and white stuff was mostly improvised. So we can just blame Guy Pierce for that. So to start <laughs> with the, the stuff okay, that we so really liked about this movie, now. the one thing I want to mention. Is I feel like humor is a big part of this movie, which you don't really think of when you think of Christopher Nolan. You don't think about, you know, I, I can't think of a lot of, uh, you know, uh, even a movie like The Dark Knight, where, where the you, essentially the lead character is the Joker. You know, you would think would have a, a lot of humor, and I guess it, it kind of does, but it's not like laugh out loud humor. There's actually some pretty strong comedic beats in this movie. There I are mean, there are very funny comedic beats and. I think this goes into a larger point about why this movie is so good. He finds throughout the, you know, almost, uh, it's like 100 minutes, 110 minutes or something, whatever the runtime of this movie is, he finds new ways to play with the conceit continuously. Mm-hmm. Like, clever ways. Like, every time that's something he does a new thing, I'm like, oh, God, that is so clever. Mm-hmm. Like, like whether it be comedic, even whether it be just be a joke because he's forgotten something, like everyone's spitting in the beer or whatever, and mm-hmm. then you, they, they pay off why the guy was laughing. You I know. don't feel drunk. I don't feel <laughs> drunk. Uh, but right, I, what am I doing? Oh, I'm chasing okay. this guy. <laughs> but, that, that, but that, okay, the chase... Oh, no, chase, he's chasing the, me. The, okay. the chase sequence, that's amazing. Like, oh, yeah. I'm chasing this guy. Oh, he's chasing me. Like, mm-hmm. how how brilliant is that, that he has to, like, yeah, you, that's good. do that into cues? And he, he does... The who chasing two thing is I thought was incredibly clever. The the way that he plays with um, he the way he reveals information slowly about like he starts by doing a pretty good job about establishing this guy's condition, and then as he goes back further and further, he adds more and more like nuggets that start to make more sense. Like you have to he talks about having to burn Polaroids, and then he finds a half burnt Polaroid, so you know that's going to come back mm-hmm. later. So he does an incredible job of layering all this stuff in such an intricate way that do they everything does kind of pay off and, and even in the beginning like do you ever question why you have such a nice car and nice shoe and uh, nice clothes and stuff like that like it is he adds like these little mystery elements and the thing about memento is that if you watch the movie in chron- chronological order the actual story isn't that deep or complex or all that amazing but yeah. i but i think it would still work yeah. i think it would still work as a story i think you know, yeah but like a- but the, he in reverse, it's just things that happen. I mean, aside from the in fact reverse, that he becomes can a mystery. Be- yeah, in reverse, it becomes a mystery. Forward, because- it would be just like a thriller, but not even a good thriller, right? Like, the- I, yeah, I it's like just okay. And I think it's that way before. It's impossible to know. Um, but I just feel like so. Um, another big criticism of this movie is people have talked about this idea that if you watch, if the actual plot, the nuts and bolts mystery plot of Memento, if you were to watch it from beginning to end, 
is not that good. Like it's not that interesting. And I would I would I think that's a I think that's a horseshit criticism because the movie isn't told like that. It's purposely told out of it's purposely told backwards. Right. And exactly. That's, that's what yeah. he wanted to do. And he is so brilliant at layering this mystery and then paying off aspects of it and making it like making the the start of the journey super interesting that um, I'm just kind of blown away. I'm, I'm reminded of the game Braid. You play that game, Mike, right? Yeah. Where what yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. game does is it plays with time. The whole game is playing with time. And at the end of the game, by rewinding, you see everything from a new perspective and suddenly the story takes on a much darker, disturbing meaning. And I think that that's really what why that game is so interesting and conversely why Memento is so interesting is that the mystery is about how someone's got how someone started and then where they end up is 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 the start it's 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 fascinating how he's able to conceive this story i'm just kind of blown away by that from just a screenwriting exercise standpoint but anyway uh any other incredibly did any other moment when you're watching this be like oh that's really clever like did any like well the the, the the editing the editing in this movie is also it's not it's not just the screenplay structure but it's the way that it's put together and the editor has a actually interesting name Dodie Dorn I've, I've never actually looked at it until uh, right before the podcast Dodie Dorn uh, D-O-D-Y <laughs> Dorn um, Dodie Dorn you know, the thing that really makes it work is uh, it. you know I'm not sure if I've actually never read the screenplay but uh, the way it's edited uh, gives you like audio and visual clues to, remi- to remind you that oh yes this is the uh, moment that we left off in the previous scene so you know, now I'm getting the connection like you know, there's like Joey uh, Pint- Joe Pantoliano like slams his hand on the on the uh, car on the hood of the car and says Lenny or whatever. He does it a, a few times actually. He says Lenny a lot. And yeah, he does. He does. I feel like he does say Lenny a lot. Um, you know, they give you they give you these these clues at the end of a scene that remind you of what happened at the beginning. Uh, I, I, even talking about it, I get a little confused. But the editing gives you those clues. Um, you know, they w- through repetition. You know, so that way it, you are able to connect. Um, you know, one scene to the next, because otherwise it actually might require more, you know, too much work. You know, and the movie has to do a little work for you, I would say, and the editing does that. But it's also done in a way where I don't like. I mean, I when I when I first saw this movie, it's not like I needed. I I, I understood it. Like I, I get what's happening. Like it's not it's not so. It's not like a movie like Primer where it's mm-hmm. so confusing that you need oh to like my God, you Primer. need to draw diagrams after you watch it and talk for three hours. Like you get what happens in the movie. It, it's, yeah. it's easy enough to. It's I mean you have to pay attention, but it's not like the movie is so super complex or so obtuse that you're lost either and I think that's a real testament to how he, like you said the editing and how he paces it and all that kind of stuff I, I love I love the reveals of the movie I love the fact that he's been scratching at this tattoo on his arm in the black and white sequence the entire time that he like pulls it off and says never answer the phone he's talking on the phone like <laughs> yeah. that's a total like hair yeah. stands up on the back of your neck moment and the movie is full of those kind of things that it's just like holy crap this guy is so talented and you know and it's it's ama- And if you look at all his other, you know, his other films, he's he's found new interesting gimmicks. You know, uh, I read a, uh, 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 an article about Chris Nolan where the critic called him the mind fuck guy. Where he's like <laughs> he's just he's amazing at just messing with people's minds and comes up with these incredibly creative ideas. So he's just one of those filmmakers. And when you say household name, he totally is. He's one of the few directors, I would say, that can still sell a movie. One of the few. Right. Um, that his name alone guarantees that the movie's going to make over $100 million. Yeah, I was surprised that Dunkirk did as well as it did. I exactly. Mean, so you know, it's, a, it's a World War II movie with uh, very few stars and, and, and certainly no uh, 
you know, there's no romance. There's, there's not a lot of the... Uh, there's no typical, like, movie stuff in it. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, we're on a beach, and how do we get off this beach? Movie stuff. <laughs> without getting shot and killed. So let's talk about Mike's issues. Let's talk about the actual nitty-gritty of the plot. See if we... Under, my, my understanding, and Mike, you tell me your perspective after I finish, but my understanding of this movie is that the end reveal is stating that um, Lenny... Um, Lenny has already killed the John G. His wife was never killed in the accident. Mm-hmm. She died because he killed her through a, a di- uh, he gave her an insulin overdose. Mm-hmm. She went into a diabetic coma. She was, he basically, Sammy Jenkins' story is his own that he's appropriated to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And he now has, in order to give his life meaning in, in this horrible state he is with because of his condition, he basically finds a new boogeyman and then kills them. And, um, and Lenny is a, the cop who, um, Originally helped, originally helped him was originally the cop who uh, believed him that there was another attacker originally helped him find this John G character and then after he killed him Lenny did not remember still so I mean sorry um, yeah Lenny did not still remember still so Teddy uh, is basically kind of using Lenny to his advantage to kill people he doesn't like kill bad people vigil- basically almost like vigilante justice he's using him as like a prop to give to give our Lenny character a, a new boogeyman, and then they kind of start the cycle over and over again. Until the point where the, this movie ends the cycle because Lenny um, decides to be like, hey, uh, I don't want to ever believe the truth about what's happening. So he writes the, the don't believe his lies on mm-hmm. Teddy's Polaroid, and that's what causes the... Um, uh, the, him to the, shoot the, him, to sh- to, him to shoot Teddy well, and also throughout the entire movie every time Teddy says something he looks at the back of the picture and says don't believe his lies like oh mm-hmm. well the one bit of truth I'm not going to believe because I've told myself that I can't believe it right I mean, but it, you think that you think that he doesn't do that he's not done this repeatedly is that what you're saying Mike there's no way to really know I, so I what's the whole thing I originally had thought that he did not do it repeatedly on purpose that he is being victimized by Teddy's using um, him Teddy or John G yeah John Gamel to he's basically being used being manipulated um, and at first it was for a good reason but then as time went on Teddy's like hey wait a second I can I can use this to my advantage and I can get a whole lot of money which at, at some point I don't even know if it's vigilante justice as much as it's about the money because he has the guy he has 500 grand in the backseat of the car so he's doing things to get him and and Teddy money, so that they can, and then they have to skip town and they got to move to the next place. So I think it's really more selfish than it is altruistic, as far as like getting well, bad I people do, off the street. I Maybe do it's a bit of both. I, don't I think know. you're right. I think it, there it took a turn, and I think that the start of this movie, when he's meeting the drug dealer, Teddy is using Lenny to kill a drug dealer to steal the money from a drug dust that goes bad. Correct. Right. Yeah. Is that what's it's essentially right. Leonard yeah, yeah. becomes a tool for other people to take advantage of? Right. And. Well, I think he was, I don't even know, was it a drug dealer went bad, or is it he just set him up there, told him to meet me at this place, then they kill him, and they take the money, and that's it. That's the drug dealer that quote-unquote went bad, right? Or does something no, else Oh, my happen? understanding is that he, Teddy pretends to be a drug buyer. He sends Lenny, kills right. the drug dealer, or he wanted to kill the, the Jimmy Gantz character, a.k.a. Carrie Ann Moss's boyfriend. And then he uh, was right. going to just take the money from the deal and then get all the money from it, and, and Lenny would never remember what happened anyway, basically. Right, uh, Exactly. So it wasn't that I, it's okay. You sounded like it sounded like something had happened earlier, and a drug deal went bad. The drug deal went we bad said, was yeah. the actual. And I, but I don't know. Right, if, right, I think right. I feel like the this is the first time Teddy was trying this. Like he just got fed up with. Like I don't know. It's impossible to tell. I don't know. No, because when he talks to him, he says something like along the lines of like, you know, you, you you loved it at first, and I just really wanted to make you happy again. That was the thing. After it went away, you didn't remember you did it. 
So I just wanted to make you happy again. But then after a while, I get the impression that like this has been going on for some time. Well, we're leaving time, out a character here. We're leaving out Carrion Moss's character of Natalie, who right. I, th- I think I think Rich. has been has, so, burnt, has been burned by by Teddy, right? Essentially. Well, my understanding. Well, I was a little confused by this in rewatching. <laughs> well, this, but she basically she is an evil character in the sense that she's always manipulating Lenny throughout the whole. Uh, okay, okay. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, not quite. Because this is something. So I thought, I think the movie wants you to think that by the middle of the movie, she's the bad guy. But then by the end, you're like, oh my God, everybody's a bad guy. Okay. Um, well, how brilliant is the thing where, how brilliant is kill- that moment where she like, Get, shows up beaten up and then it's revealed that he's the one that did it yeah. and then she she just waits yes. in her car that's like another know, thing where he's I, just yeah. playing with the, he just plays with the premise in such creative he, ways he sets up the rules and then he follows the rules and uses the rules to make really awesome mm-hmm. scenes yeah and, and, and like she the fact that she's walking around picking up all the pens you like it, I in the first time it happened I never made that connection and at the end of the scene I was just like oh my god watching it a second time that was one of the few scenes I remembered and I'm like oh god they, okay this is the scene she's taking all the pens away oh yeah. god um <laughs> Uh, which again, like we want to get technical and nitpicky. Like, well, how did she know how long his memory would last? Like, she goes in the car and waits like five minutes. It comes back in, and if he still remembered, then I, what I think she's you know, just looking for whatever. some kind of visual cue that that he's uh, so confused that if she were to come right. back in, you know, he wouldn't remember what happened. Yeah, you know, he, he kind of gets a look. But anyway, yeah. So, so the, the point we were making was that I, I don't think she. So I think after he beats the shit out of Dodd and sends him out of town, she actually at that point is like, oh, you know what? Thank you. I really appreciate it. Here, I'll help mm-hmm. you. So she has no idea who this John Gamble was. I don't even think she really knows who that guy is. Do they have any kind of interaction at all? I don't think her and Teddy, slash, I'm going to call him Teddy from now on, I don't think the two of them ever have any kind of interactions or refer to each other, that they know each other. I think Teddy the whole time, uh, Lenny the whole time has been, you know, the point guy for the whole thing. I think Teddy's been pulling the strings behind the scenes. So I think that she doesn't even know who this guy is and doesn't know whose information she's giving to Lenny at the end of the movie. I think she's, or I guess the beginning, um... She's just kind of actually saying, okay, you help me out, I'll help you out, here you go, here's the information that you essentially set up to kill him. But the first half of the movie, you think she's setting him up, but it's not, that he's, he's done it himself. So she's just kind of, you know, she actually has a friend in the DMV, and she's getting that information mm-hmm. from him, and she's just kind of, like, pushing this along. Yeah. I mean, she's she's using Leonard uh, for revenge. To, uh, revenge I think... No, I, because, I, don't, because, I, I agree you know, with Mike. I don't, I don't think, think so. she is because I don't think she knows. She doesn't know who Teddy is, right? What is her relationship to Teddy? She knows nothing about Teddy, right? It's at one because if she knows what actually at what, one point she does, I mean, she shows him the uh, the, the driver's license. And, well, he right, but that that no. means nothing to her. What does that mean to her? Um, all she's doing is pulling neutral information out of the ether that that she uses he, to the only kill. Reason him. Why that's, well, I, th- I thought that she. Um, her boyfriend is the guy who. Uh, what's his name? It, it's not Dodd. It's uh, Jimmy Gantz. Jimmy Gantz, right? Her her boyfriend so, so is killed right, right. by. Let's, let's her quick, boyfriend is killed so. by Teddy. It's essentially killed by Leonard. But, but she Teddy, doesn't know that. What she doesn't she know that. How so this is what happens. That? They. Right. <laughs> so Dave, this is what happens. Teddy goes in. Lenny goes in. Talks to. Talks to Jimmy Gantz. Gets a drug deal mm-hmm. set up. They go to do the drug deal. He kills yeah. him. Then she says, "Okay, oh, she doesn't know who kills him." She doesn't even know it's Lenny. She knew it was Lenny. She would have killed Lenny herself. So she has no clue. She knows it's Lenny at all. weird that Lenny shows up then in later, his suit and car. Well, I, th- I mean, I think she probably has right, an inkling right, right. that you know he wouldn't just give Leonard his suit and car. I mean, she well, no, eventually, eventually yeah, so figures that out that about? Leonard has, that's actually a very good point. Been manipulated a, to kill. She's a. I don't know if he. She ever does. She's well, aware if, that he. She knows about the memory man. Like she. She's heard about him, right? Like she knows of him. Yes. Right? Is that correct, Mike? Yes, and she's probably heard that yeah, yeah, from yeah. from Teddy. 
At least that was my always my impression. My impression was always that she knew. So she knew who Teddy was. That she knew who Teddy was. That's interesting. Huh. I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I got the impression I that she know. did. I don't know. That was the impression, but I don't. But anyway, I could be wrong. So the only thing that that, that kind of uh, ruins that is the fact that he shows up in her car and in, in her boyfriend's car and suit, and she doesn't put two and two together and know that okay, you were the one who did it. Right. Well, she knows something's. Or maybe she. Yeah. I mean. So that's the that's the weird thing because then I, the, the, the story I had in my mind is that at that point, um, Dodd now doesn't have the money. So when he goes to her to get the money because that's where Jimmy lost it. Dodd's coming after her because he thinks that she has it, so she has him take care of this right. Dodd guy. So the only way this makes sense is if she actually did not give a shit about Jimmy Gantz in the first <laughs> place, and that he's dead. But that's not true. We have pictures right. of her together, so obviously she does care about right. the guy. She's, she makes it clear later yeah, on. Yeah, that that's she that's a little lost weird. Someone. She says that she's like, I've lost someone. She, you know, Leonard has lost someone, and that's their connection later in the story, and that's the reason she's yeah she's no yeah that's that's bizarre to help him, and you know they're using each other essentially. Yeah, so why did I, that's something I want to answer too, and I guess that's something we'll do after the podcast. Like, I don't know why that that him showing up in her boyfriend's suit and car, and then he's mysteriously gone the next day is everything is okay, and she's okay with talking to this guy, even if he has a memory thing or not. I would imagine like why well, doesn't she just kill him herself? <laughs> well, no, but she doesn't. She stops herself after he starts. Like she's like she is. It's, it's only a test that she uses to see if he actually well, does forget and her. Then or not. he does. Oh yeah. The only act of malice she does is making fun of him to his face about his dead wife and how all well, that yeah, stuff, and that's pretty, it. Pretty, then she just pulls the information. It's, pretty it's not even like she forges the records. You're making fun of, you want to put it that way. Uh, okay, yeah, but Dave, if somebody killed your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and then all you do is yell at them, and then you can't even remember that, that doesn't fit with her character. I think she would probably want him dead or I something. I think you can I make an know. argument either way. I think you could argue that Natalie is totally in the control of the situation and knows what Leonard is and manipulating him and the other one is she's kind of just a victim of happenstance and doesn't really know and you have to wonder how much he really yeah, I don't think either, she like either really way. the Jimmy Gantz character he was obviously I, I get the feeling that he was abusive they, too they, they show pictures of them together in, in her uh... but yeah I could see him being abusive it she doesn't really care that much um, she just wants this guy no, off her don't... back and to be honest I don't so think so who's like, Dodd in relation to this if, Dodd if is she... just a guy that was after Jimmy <laughs> I think Dodd. I think Jimmy owed him money, and Dodd was coming after her because the money that he owed him just went yeah. missing, and and Jimmy's dead. So she has, she thinks that he thinks that she has it, or probably either kill Jimmy and get the money. I was money a little confused like about Dodd, but I think you're right. Um, as far as the connection goes, yeah. Because the other thing too is that if if in fact that um, she uh, Natalie, right? Mm-hmm. That's her name. If she Trinity? did in fact frame Jimmy Gantz, <laughs> right? Trinity uh, frame uh, uh, Teddy then that completely nullifies the whole scene at the very end where Lenny is creating the tattoo number on the, like, the, t- he's basically, he's setting him up. He's just putting, inf- he's giving himself information that will lead him to right. John G. So if, if he, that, if, if she did in fact falsify the information to kill Teddy, that completely renders that scene useless. So no, it definitely had to be that he, she was just getting a neutral information after, you know, basically saving her life from Yeah, my Dodd, understanding is with apparently. the, ta- like when she, with the whole finding the DMV and leading him back to uh, Teddy, like she doesn't know who that license plate leads to or anything. Like she knows nothing about what that that, that, right. that can't be calculated. It can't be. I don't. I don't know. Uh, do you agree with that, right. Dave, or no? I don't know. I'm starting to get confused. <laughs> All right, Dave's out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, anyway. Right, so bigger right. question then. Let, let's. So the whole reason why we started this down this this whole <laughs> train. Is I have this condition, guys. It had, it's did what's his age. name? Do, uh, did Lenny do this to himself? Was he part? Was he in on this? Did he constantly give himself new people to hunt? And I don't think so. I think that 
I think that what's his, like I said, Teddy's been using him, um, and I think the the first time Teddy actually tells him all this stuff, that's when he takes action to stop it from happening and kind of break the cycle. But is he because if he told him this every time and they were in on it, then why did he just suddenly get horrified no, this time that, instead of the other that's, ones? That's a fair point, Mike. I I do think that regardless of whether or what actually happens or you know what the reality of the movie is i think dave's initial point still holds is that this movie is about this idea of lying to yourself to make yourself feel better and he's this guy who has figured out that the only way he can be happy is he if he constantly has someone to attack or, or go chase. after right. he, well, if he has a part if he gives himself exactly. a purpose i think the fact that he has something to live for because honestly his life exactly. is unlivable exactly. i mean with that condition how do you uh, so the fact that he has something to go, something to keep himself occupied with, something to feel like he has a mission in life, I think keeps him Which going. Which I think is, I think that's again, um, I think it's a very interesting cerebral concept, right? Like this idea. And actually, I, I would say it's, I would think then at that point, the it's, the opposite is true. We don't, he doesn't want to lie to himself because he's, he did something to break out of the like the cycle of himself getting manipulated. So he's doing something well, we that will eventually give him yeah, the well, we, yeah, we don't know, A, we Joey don't know Pants. what's going to happen after he kills Joey Pants. But beyond that, um, well, I can tell you, I think what happens is he probably writes, he has a picture of him killed. He'll probably write a note on the back of the picture saying, I did it. And then he'll be done. And then he'll be finished. And he'll feel like, okay, well, I, I, I accomplished what I needed to but accomplish. The, it's the, done. The it's final over. lines of the movie make and it seem like he just wants to keep on the journey forever, right? Like, right. He's, like he's, he's like, he's like, well, what I can make say? my What's own reality. Like, if this, you know, if this is true, then like, I can make. If I close my eyes, is the world still exists? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He basically. Yeah. I mean, that part, I don't know. That part gets a little bit like, like fluffy, bad. I like that. Like, I like that, Matrix I like that part too. Well, you know, it is very It came out like just the year after the Matrix. So it was, it, it, it you know, it, uh, I think those movies could tie into each other in an interesting way, an interesting discussion. I think I think he's touching on the fact of like how how mut- sometimes um, reality can be mutable based on your personal your uh, your perspective or your point of view or the information that you know or something that you can create. But I would argue that if he was all about lying to himself, he would he would have a system set up so that he would constantly be in this cycle versus doing something to break out of it. Because if that's true, he would just say, "Okay, Teddy, you know what? You're right. I agree with you." Let's just keep going with this and just don't ever bring I want to I want to interject here. This. We're we're doing something interesting on this podcast. We're essentially I feel like we all have kind of a different memory of, of exactly what happens. We're essentially doing what Leonard well, <laughs> is I mean, doing wait, when, when it comes to this movie. I, I No, we're trying to figure out well, we're trying I, to I, figure I out agree, what the truth I mean, is. I, I, well, I, I feel like we're notes. I, at, least, at least for me now that I'm trying to reflect on this discussion that we're having currently a little bit. I'm I'm tr- you know, what is the reason I want uh, Natalie to to actually be using. I, I guess I find it more interesting if uh, Carrie Ann Moss's character is using uh, Leonard as uh, a tool for revenge against Teddy. So maybe that's why I'm remembering it that way. You know? No, that's a, yeah, and and I think that this movie has this so line Dave where Lenny's like, "Memory isn't even that good because we we you know you ask any eyewitness from a police report about how unre- unreliable memory is and right. how our personal." Um, biases contribute to things, but you know what? We've been babbling about this too long. I think it's time to talk. I think it's time to show us your homework. Okay. Can we talk about our homework now? Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I asked uh, the boys to look at Nolan's filmography and list from least favorite to favorite, or we can do it any order. But let's start from least favorite to favorite. Uh, cri- actually, let's start with favorite to least favorite. No, 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 no. You said to order the them. Best. In order, because I, I I think they're all very yeah, good. I don't movies. think I'm going to. I'm putting them in. 
I don't think he's ever made an actual bad movie. I agree with you. I, I mean, in ranking this, it's kind of arbitrary because I think that all his movies have some merit in some way, and I actually enjoy all his movies yeah, on some level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, but anyway, I'm just curious to kind of see where Memento fits in that filmography. So, Mike, why don't you kind okay. of go first? All right. So going backwards, these are just the movies I've seen. I'll say um, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, I put at the bottom. I think they're good, but I feel like sequels to me. I think they oh, are, think don't have the, the – I think the – I always like the origin story versus the sequel sometimes. And I think um, everyone's all gaga about the Joker. And he's like, he's okay, he's fine, whatever. Um, so I think those two movies at the bottom for me. Um, I would say the the the, uh, the next one, I think Dunkirk is very, very, very good. But for his other body of work, everything being so um, uh, more in, in fantasy and science fiction and that kind of stuff, I, those, I like those kinds of movies better. So that takes a little bit of a precedence for me. Um, I think The Prestige is very good. I think I would put that next. Um, I think I like Batman Begins a little better than Prestige. I think it's actually I, the structure of that. Ah, they're both really good. I think I just got to go Batman. I don't know. Those are interchangeable <laughs> for me. Say? Interchangeable. Uh, well, I have I ha- that's I'm reading the list, but now you I'm said, like so I don't you know Prestige about that. then Batman anyway, Begins. Can't change the list. I think so. I, I might flop that, but anyway, um, Inception then for me. I think Inception was a movie that it, I, when I left, I needed to see it again to get a fuller picture or a full. I think there were some things that were hazy. It could have been explained a little better, but still very good. I think Interstellar is is really oh, really interesting. interesting. It has some really really cool stuff, and I would put Memento at the wow. top for me just um, of the sheer what he did that's and what like and making something that's truly different and unique and unconventional. Um, where, the other movies are very good, but they're not different. They kind of follow the same formula and the for, the same style of things. So I it think seems like uh, you've seen them all except Insomnia. I think is the only way. And following. Oh yeah, and I didn't put a following on. And following, and there's like one or two other ones. Oh oh, and, and Doodlebug. Well, I haven't film. seen Doodlebug. I'm sh- <laughs> I'm sure it's a rousing success. Sure. It made million. Um, it made a billion dollars. It's the only short film to ever make a billion dollars. Um, okay, well, that's very interesting. I, I think the reason this exercise with Nolan is so interesting is that if you ask, first off, I don't. I think it's it's very hard to rank his movies because I think that they're all flawed in some way. But they're all also very, very good in, in, in ways as well. And it's like, what do you, what do you like? Right. Like, which one are you more willing to forgive the flaws versus the successes of the movie? Right. Um, but Dave, what do you, what is your list? Uh, so I have Interstellar at the bottom, <laughs> and I'll just say that I, I do huh. kind of like Interstellar, but it, it's the one that it, it uh, has not held up as well on repeat viewings for me. Um, it does have, I, w- I would say, his most emotional scene, the scene where Matthew McConaughey has to see, see his kids. Yeah. See his kids. You know, he's he's made whatever. Oh, that scene yeah. made uh, me it, ball like a fucking. It, it didn't do that to me, but I oh, but I do yeah. remember. So sad. I mean, again, it's it's still an in- interesting movie, and, and you know, it's still a good movie. Uh, I have The Dark Knight Rises next, which you know, I, I'm a, I, originally was a little partial to because it was actually made in Pittsburgh, my hometown, um, and there are <laughs> there are still a lot of oh, things I really podcast. actually kind of I really kind of love Tom Hardy as the villain in that movie. Um, I love Tom Hardy and, in general. Yeah, like Ivan said, he has very pillowy uh, lips. Then I put number three, Insomnia, for me, which uh, I, if anyone hasn't seen Insomnia, I would suggest definitely taking a look. I've never seen the original. This was a remake. Is it basically The Machinist? It's Pacino and Robin Williams and Hilary Swank. It's based on like a Swedish movie, No, no, no. Movie, is right? it, is it, it's based yeah. on a Swedish movie. It. Uh, I've heard it's not as good as the, uh, the, um, the movie, the original. The I kind of have to rewatch it, to be honest with you. But, but anyway. uh, there's some... Is it is it very is it similar to the no, machinist? Not at all. Yeah, I mean it's cool. It's, good. It's his. It's, I feel like it's his most straightforward. Movie. It's just a thriller. It's like a very straight. It's. It, I would say it's his closest to making a um, David Fincher movie. Yeah, is what I would classify. Yeah, it there's as. some. I mean, it's got a really terrific Al Pacino performance in it at the very least. There's um, interesting ideas in it too. And I put number uh, four, Batman Begins, which I think is uh, uh, 
a very good movie. I you know I remember liking it a lot and and uh, what it did for the comic book genre. Uh, the Prestige. Uh, you know, I was a magician. Prestige. It's it that that's one of the one of his movies. This, now we're starting to get into the movies where I actually start to enjoy rewatching them. Prestige is a movie that if it's on, I'll keep on for like ten minutes just because like oh, I, I, you know, there's some interesting parts coming up that I would like to actually see. I put Dunkirk next. It's it's a relatively uh, recent movie, um, but who knows? It may grow in my. I actually missed the last couple of minutes because the power went out. What? <laughs> in the theater. You never knew if they made it out. Well, I read what happened. <laughs> Did they give and, you your money back? Essentially, Exciting. no. I, it's a lot. It's too long to get into right here. I put Inception uh, next. That's at least so we have three. I have three left. Inception, and then I put Memento, and I put The Dark Knight as number one, Mike, because I think, I think <laughs> you know, fifty years from now, the movie. I, I think that we're probably going to remember him for two or three movies. And I think it's going to be The Dark Knight, Memento, and uh, Inception. And uh, I, um, so you it, might be right. So yeah. I don't. I, so I guess that's making it kind of like. Yeah. I'm saying it's his, his best movie or his most important movie, but in a lot of ways, I enjoy watching. It's a toss up for me between Memento, Inception, and The Dark Knight. I enjoy watching all three of those. I put Dark Knight at the top because I feel like um, that's that's probably going to be the one he's remembered for the most. And again, I'm going to read my list now, but I, I think, it, again, these lists are arbitrary in a lot of ways because I really do love his movies, um, even though I have problems with all of them. But here's my list. Uh, starting at the bottom, Insomnia, <laughs> um, because it's his most straightforward movie and I think it's his least interesting, but I kind of, maybe I should rewatch it. Then The Dark Knight Rises, which is a movie that I actually really enjoyed in theaters and I only dislike more because everyone keeps on crapping on it ever since it came out. But I remember being <laughs> thrilled and enjoyed it when I watched it. So, uh, then is Interstellar um, because Interstellar I think has a lot of interesting ideas it's also really long and um, they don't really get to space for an hour and a half I don't know I really, I do really like Interstellar and think about like amazing set pieces in that movie like I can think of the wave scene in that movie is the wave planet like how yeah. cool was that sequence right. I, I just so many amazing scenes in that movie mm-hmm. uh, then I'm going to put actually following which I know you guys haven't seen but I highly recommend you do because following is such an interesting movie because it's made on no budget, but it's such it's still very much a Christopher Nolan movie. It messes with time, it messes with perspective and structure. It is the most wonderful way to. I mean, I don't know if you guys get this thrill, uh, the, the same thrill that I do, but when you watch an early filmmaker's work and you can see all the movies they are going to make based on this like early movie, I just find so fascinating. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and following this is such an interesting experiment in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's Batman Begins, uh, a movie that has unwatchable action sequences. Yeah. But uh, like unwatchable, like some of the worst shot fight scenes I've ever seen es- in a movie. Especially when it comes to him as Batman. Oh, but, totally. At, at the beginning, actually, it's kind of, kind of fun. Uh, but I think the movie changed the way I think about superhero movies. It had, did an amazing. Uh, it has a great tone and style. There is a shot in Batman Begins of of Batman just standing over the city of Gotham in this case Chicago, but like a gargoyle. <laughs> like a gargoyle. But I remember being so moved by that shot because it's it's just so beautiful and it's real. It's not CG. There's really a guy up there, and it's this sweeping helicopter shot. It's shot on film. It looks Certainly amazing. Like it, yeah. It's just everything. What well, is a real? I mean, I know it was real. I mean, that's Chris Nolan's kind of mo is that he tries to avoid using CG as much as possible. Blah blah blah. And I just 
I, I, I'm still kind of taken with that, even though it has a lot of clunky moments in it. Um, then is Inception, just because there's just so many cool ideas in that movie. I still think there's a lot of emotional problems with it, but I mean, it's got that anti-gravity fight sequence that like is amazing. Um, dreams within dreams. Dreams within I mean, dream within become, dreams. Yeah, the, the, the ideas behind that movie. Brahms is Brahms yeah. all over the have place. Accepted our culture. Chock full of Brahms. Uh, you could say it has cultural relevance. Uh, then there is um, Dunkirk, uh, which a movie that I'm surprised I enjoyed as much as I did. Uh, but I just think it's just so well crafted and there are so many amazing sequences. I was tearing up at the end when Tom Hardy's gliding his plane. Yeah. I was just so taken by this. Mm. He's just, Chris Nolan just gets why cinema is cool in a movie theater. Like he gets it. Like he makes movies that you need to see in a movie theater, which is just awesome. Yeah. Then I'm putting Memento, a movie that yeah. I think that we just talked about, obviously, but I think is the most structurally brilliant screenplays I've ever, ever conceived. And the fact that it works and all the clever things he does. After that, I'm putting The Prestige, a, a movie that I had, I, 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 I number two, I'm putting Prestige because, again, I, I remember seeing that movie in theaters and just being, I was like, this movie keeps on surprising me. Like, it, it has multiple twists in the movie that got me every time. Like, yeah, that, there's there are a lot just, of, yeah. And so many amazing, like, I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan, and so many moments that just get the hair on your neck to stand up. There's that sequence when he... Um, just the opening shot where it shows all the hats, which pay off later, like mm-hmm. just still makes me like still makes my like um, hair on my back of my neck stand up or or when the just the shot of it's like that really foggy area and all the light bulbs in Tesla's like town just light up because there's so much electricity in there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's come to fantasy. <laughs> well, it, it, I, well, I mean, it, it reveals itself to being pure fantasy at yeah. the end, but it's just so clever and just so so precisely uh, made. Um, yeah, I love that movie. And number one, I'm putting The Dark Knight for the same reason that kind of Dave put it, because I think it's a movie that changed superhero movies. I think it has the most iconic moments of all his movies. I mean, from the joke. I think I think I think you're both right as far. I I think for me that's why I didn't want to put it. I I don't know when everything gets when it's too mainstream. Is, is it too is it too cool for you? It's too mainstream. It's too mainstream. But, for I mean, me, just think yeah. about the flipping of the um, the the semi truck, the introduction of the Joker, just the uh, the why the, the just say like, why so I serious. Don't know. Like none of that stuff went so I. I, yeah, why so serious? I'm gonna make this pencil disappear. There's a lot of stuff like that. That, but I, I think there is a lot of like, I always think about how I felt about the movie and how I felt coming out of it and how it how it shaped my 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 brain, my brain space. <laughs> and I think, like, I, I Dark Knight just felt like a superhero movie to me. And I think you know Marvel's already doing it, so it didn't nothing well, about not that same was years new. Man, so it, it did come out the same in year. In fact, I, it was. A, but the thing that's so interesting about the Dark Knight, or at least the way I, the thing I feel about the Dark Knight, is it does this thing where Chris uh, Chris Nolan realizes that nobody cares where the nobody gives a shit where the Joker came from, and it does this thing like where like he starts telling his origin story and then he tells a different origin story later. Right, and, and that it, plays well into his the theme, I think, his <laughs> filmography, which is how yeah. we deceive ourselves. Yes, right? and it's just it's just I remember when the Joker did that. I'm like, oh, this is just so and brilliant because because he's just he's personifying like why this character is interesting. It's because he's chaos, not because we care where chaos came from. And mm-hmm. and and I I don't know. I, I think it, it it touches on a lot of standard superhero tenets in a very interesting and creative way. It still has a lot of action beat problems, uh, where like there are incomprehensible fight scene moments in that movie, like the final sequence in the uh, warehouse where like Batman's yeah. using his bat vision is incomprehensible geographically. But it, I don't know, Chris Nolan is just such a 
he just manages to win for the because he's got so many great visual moments. And the one thing about all his movies is that they all feel tangible. Yeah. Nothing feels CGI. Like it all, even if there is CGI yeah, involved, yeah. it all feels real. CGI. Yes. Yeah, um, we should note there's probably plenty of CGI. <laughs> no, I'm not. There is yeah. tons <laughs> of CGI in all his movies, and <laughs> I think there are a couple moments where the CGI really stands out because it's so awkward. Like in The Dark Knight Rises, when the uh, football field implodes, mm-hmm. that feel that looks like a CGI set piece. They actually did. Well, I mean, they, to an extent, they actually did uh, create a, uh, a a false floor, false. Uh, oh, did they really? Field and, and and blew it up. Obviously, not not to, not to the extent that they did in the, in the real movie, but they actually did oh, blow up Heinz Field. <laughs> well, well, there I am wrong, but I, I, I think Chris Nolan. I think Chris Nolan understands that understands people what, falling into the hole probably didn't actually happen. He present. I guess the point is he presents spectacle in a way that feels like it actually was shot on the film that he shot it on, which is yep. really important for creating the um, just the verisimilitude between what you're watching and he he makes movies feel cinematic and mm-hmm. he does it in wonderful ways and I, I love him and you for wouldn't that. think that he would become that kind of filmmaker watching Memento because you would think this is a guy who's going to go on to make movies that are small indie mind fucks right <laughs> yeah, right but I, you know I think that someone give whoever had the idea to give him Batman Begins you know thank you that person <laughs> if we're giving him a budget that you know he can he can have an unlimited budget for the rest of his life now because of his filmography is so insane right. so anyway interesting movie I'm glad we re- talked about Memento um, it might be interesting way down the line sometime to talk about you know in we're not gonna be doing this podcast in 20 years but I'm very curious to be re- I want to re- I'm curious to rewatch well, do we really know I'm, I'll be curious to rewatch like the Dark Knight in 10 more years of the superhero we're going on uh, four years here, I think. Four years? Yeah, yeah but when you yeah. do a podcast every two to three weeks, it really stretches it out. <sighs> but anyway, any final thoughts you guys have before we close out this episode? Mm-hmm. Don't think so. I think I think I said my piece. Um, Peace, yeah. my said. Peace, my said. Um, cool. Um, if you want to watch, watch, listen to more episodes of this podcast, you can go to reviewedpodcast.com, facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. Email us with movie suggestions at contact at reviewpodcast.com. David, where can people find you on the internet? On Twitter, Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z, and daveglanzproductions.com. And Mike, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Morandi or on Instagram at Mike Morandi or on my website, mikemorandi.com. <laughs> Or just, you know, just or, type type Mike Morandi online, and you'll find, you find me, me on the Google. Yeah, but I think if you go, oh no, that's the Google. Google will hook you up. Don't I worry. Think that there's like a michaelmorandi.com that's not you. No, that's not. No, 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 no. I got them all. I got Michael oh, and Mike do. Morandi. It's probably a mikemorandi.net. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's owning the Mike Morandi branding. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Ivan Kander. That's K N D E R. My website's luckynightstudios.com, and I write for and edit for a website called shorteroftheweek.com. So that's how you can find all that uh, good stuff. Uh, so until uh, next episode, what are we doing next time, Dave? Uh, I think we're doing Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood movie. Celebrating its 25th anniversary. Come to grips with Clint Eastwood. Alright, sounds good. So we'll be doing the Unforgiven uh, next episode. Uh, until uh, next time, you're probably not going to remember this anyway because your memories are already faded. <laughs>
the Golu. All right. Okay. Are ready? I'm ready. You ready? Mike, you ready? I'm ready. You ready? Yeah. I think we should play this podcast backwards. When I don't think that's a good idea at all. Or you release it backwards. That's better than... Mike's than backwards mine. impersonation is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually terrified to reverse that because it's going to say something. <laughs> it's going to say like, it's going to say like, the devil is born. Um, yeah, it should be good.